Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're talking A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, cha-ching, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from 1428 Elm Street. Uh, this is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating horror's least discussed component, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Freddy's revenge and the hopes that a dreaming teen's death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there is only one person I trust that when I burst into her bedroom and put my hand over her mouth and tell her that I need something from her, she's going to say, uh, sure. The one, the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I'm great. I've got my my wagon full of brewskis here. I'm I'm, oh. I'm ready for this this barbecue party. Let's <laughs> let, let's let's do it. Let's cause a ruckus. I enjoy Sansa Belt pajamas. That pajama set that uh, Mrs. Mister Lisa has on are intriguing. I don't understand their construction, how they stay on, or how you would put them on. It's like he's wearing genie pants. And yet I can totally see you wearing an apron, says Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm wearing it right now. And yet I'm not wearing anything else. <laughs> Appropriate. Set the mood right. This is a very kinky episode. Oh, it's about to get real weird up in here. But before that happens, Gina, I, I don't want to alarm you, but we are not alone. That's right. We have special guests plural you know them from their columns at bloodydisgusting.com and of course their new podcast of the very same name horror queers it's the ones and the onlys joe lipset and trace thurman how you doing boys hello hi we're good (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to break in when i'm in uh host mode i love it i love your host voice it's great (laughs) i don't from, from your regular voice it, it does? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, I sound so drunk. It's just that I enunciate poorly. So, uh, guys, you have, for a while now, been breaking down horror films from a queer perspective on Bloody Disgusting. You've now made the leap to the podcast sphere, and obviously you have a great rapport on there, and I love listening to you. But the one thing that people may not know and this might be new information to them, is where did each of you first encounter the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? Trace, I go to you in reverse alphabetical order first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my introduction to the the franchise, uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I was probably under the age of 12, and I came across New Nightmare on TV. And it was the scene when Nancy is, I'm sorry, Heather Langenkamp as Heather Langenkamp mm-hmm. is in her bedroom and she opens the closet door. And when she pushes the uh, clothes out of the way, Freddie's right there and he jumps out and attacks her. I didn't really know anything about the franchise, but I, mean, I, I knew what it was, but I didn't understand the concept of it, I guess. Like my dad had told me about it, but I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies, especially if they were R-rated. And so I just, for some reason, like my... Whenever I think of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I always think about Freddy jumping out of the closet. So much so that oh, apropos. Mon- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe, for leaping in where I am not allowed to go. <laughs> that was great. No, you're totally allowed. No, because that's what's editing. That's what editing's for. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, no, but no. So, and I actually, I have the Mondo print of New Nightmare where it is. Um, it's Freddie like peeking out of the closet clothes, uh, overlooking the cityscape of Los Angeles. So, uh, yeah. that was my introduction to the franchise. Excellent, Joe. What about you? So, I like to blame my sister for indoctrinating me into horror. She never listens to podcasts, so she doesn't know that I'm just blaming her all over the <laughs> internet. Mm-hmm. But uh, she started me on Clive Barker, and then after we had watched Candyman and Hellraiser, then we started to get into the 80s horror franchises. And of course, we started with Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. And then I had heard nothing but shit about this movie. So we just skipped it and went to three because we heard that it had a better reputation. And then eventually I went back and reworked my way through. But I actually only remember this one, the first one, the third one, and then New Nightmare. And I have amnesia about the other ones. So I'm excited to listen to you guys when you finally get to the later ones because I have no clue what happens in the later ones. Ugh. <laughs> It's a cacophony. I, I honestly have not watched them in two decades. So oh. this is this was going to be interesting for me. Um, I mean, it might be a blessing that I don't remember. No, I mean, <laughs> the, I, I did a, the Alamo Draft House here in Austin did a marathon of um, the first seven. So one through New Nightmare. And um, I did that for 12 hours. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, I really put some of them into perspective for you. <laughs> <laughs> what a ringing uh, endorsement. <laughs> At a certain point, I think they do become different kinds of movies, but but we will get to that. Because yeah. honestly, there are elements that I am confused about in how this changes from right here and now. They There are slightly different rules at play, but hey, we'll get to that. <laughs> Why don't we get into this movie directly and let's re-enter the action in a very long Stanley Kubrick like push in to the red door of 1428 Elm Street. And I think the first question I want to ask all of you, who is Zach and what the <laughs> fuck does that guy want? Yeah, that's he a, that's really a, needs to get called back. Yeah, that's, that's a very I, I think he's a bill collector. That's a very aggressively <laughs> worded message. <laughs> Did someone in the house say it's cool that this is the way we're taking messages, but I need it to be bigger. It's just so passive aggressive. It's like, call Zach. <laughs> and did he ever get that phone call? Did did someone ever call him? I'm honestly a little bit concerned. When Jesse wakes up replete in his uh, tidy whities, he is, he is slicked for some sort of transatlantic swim. <laughs> He's very moist and he immediately goes over and starts examining his drawers. I'm sorry, his desk drawers. <laughs> it's hard to specificity. tell. <laughs> it's right. It's, the devil is, in fact, in the details. And he opens a drawer. Am I going about this right? Have I have I skipped something? I feel like I've skipped something. I don't think so. I mean, my, my no, notes- I have. That that drawer thing happens later. I yeah. went to the wrong chapter. Oh, no, no, we're, it's all about the lightning striking. Yeah, somehow I mean, but they both start in, with the push inside. in on the door. They do. Oh, no, they, 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 they absolutely do. They 100% do. So you're correct. Okay. All right. This whole I, sequence, I think, involves three or four variations of the exact same, like, wake up, covered in sweat, go down to the kitchen, and it's either daytime and mom is making some kind of comment, or it's nighttime and Zach is called again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Zach, Zach, the non-existent friend. Okay. The difference is the bars are still on the windows when uh, Jesse wakes up this time. So when Jesse wakes up this time, the tennis racket is right there like morning wood. (laughs) (laughs) Never have enough phallic objects in this movie. Not in this household. He walks right by the cock and then also the rooster and he goes downstairs (laughs) The first thing that happens is there's some sort of lightning strike that blows up dishes Mm -hmm. and it's never referred to again. But it puts him into some kind of fugue state. (laughs) I was just confused as to why the lightning targeted the dishes. It just seemed very specific. It's fair. I I want to know what it means and no one's ever going to tell me. (laughs) But is he in a dream? Like, is he like an awaking dream where... He's walk, He's physically walking around to the kitchen, but the lightning strike is only happening in his mind. But then at other times, fucking birds blow up, and that's happening in the real world. Like, what are the rules here? How can Freddy both exist in the real world to affect toasters and not in the real world where he's like, I got to be in your body in order to cut up a gym teacher? Well, that's something um, I was listening to your the last episode y'all did on this um, from last week. And you had said something along, along the lines of how um, this movie takes the rules of the first one and like kind of like finds a new use for them. And I was like, there are no rules in this movie. <laughs> they disregard the rules. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Up is down. Black is white. Right is wrong. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Birds are exploding. Mass hysteria. Yeah, it's uh, it's partially a, a haunted house movie. It's partially a, a demonic possession movie. And then, oh, wait, no, he's literally inside his body and tearing his way out, <laughs> which that's like that. I did not get that that's what was supposed to be happening. I thought that he was sort of directing him to yeah. do things, but apparently he is physically inside him. I... <laughs> I don't think there's a definitive answer. Because it, it it's turns all into, of them. Because, I mean, that, that scene in, in Grady's bedroom, that looks like the thing at some point where it's like his neck's all stretching out. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, but like, it's like, oh, he was actually physically inhabiting his body the whole time. Well, I think that's that's kind of what, I mean, again, there's, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this question. I think you could say anything and it'd be fine. But I think... What I gather is, yes, he's trying to possess him. And over time, he gets stronger and stronger and is able to possess him a little bit longer and a little bit further with the eventual goal of just using his body as a gateway to enter our reality. But the one consistent thing from the previous film is that Jesse has to be asleep for this to happen unless it's more convenient for him not to be. And we're going to get to one of those moments a little bit later, but let's rejoin the action in the seedy side of wherever the fuck Elm Street happens to take place in. I can't remember from movie to movie. Uh, This looks like it's in North Hollywood, which, you know, is about as seedy as you could get in 1985. And Gina, Jesse is having your nightmare. He's walking around without shoes on. And, and his shirt all hanging open. <laughs> I mean, did you know that the source of your greatest recurring nightmare was, in fact, Freddy's revenge when you 
talked about it last it, it, week? It must have been. I mean, that, that must have planted the seed of me having recurring dreams <laughs> where I, I don't have shoes on. I mean, just to clarify, isn't Freddy's revenge kind of the source of most people's nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> or it's their great awakening into an entirely new world in which they can find a more fulfilling self. It doesn't have to be all bad. That's true, yeah, he, but you can't he, wear shoes. He, no, you can't wear shoes. Well, luckily, he wanders into a bar that has an extremely liberal no shoes policy <laughs> and well, dress code. It's it's Dom's place. At Dom's, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, let's talk about Dom's place, or as I like to call it, not quite the Blue Oyster from the Police Academy movies. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think that that uh, this was kind of the the depository of where all the, the the town weirdos go because it's a little it's a little heavy metal, it's a little punk. There's some like older looking kind of English looking fellows in the background. <laughs> well, it's that's a little it's a little biker bar. You know, it's that's kind of, kind of what I was confused about though, because they were. I mean, you know, I think Grady describes it as the queer leather joint, and. I was very confused to see so many different segments of the queer community in the same place. Because mm-hmm. usually there's different bars for that. Yeah, we don't tend yes. to like each other that much. Oh, you <laughs> especially, especially the women who are cosplaying as the Riddler. That's usually a very niche book. <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying. I, I, I couldn't help but notice there's a lot of women in, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this supposedly queer establishment. There's too many women, but I feel like there's not enough men and there's also not nearly enough kinky people yeah, to be a kink club. And at one point, when Jesse is passing by, you hear someone in the background say, "Cheers, fuck you." <laughs> Listen, I've been to some. I've been to some places in Los Angeles in my time growing up here and being an adult here. And there's no fucking way at the kinkiest place that I ever went to, no one was saying "Cheers" in a bowler hat. That shit is a different type of establishment. Well, that's actually the prelude before you start fisting someone. <laughs> there you go. This is the polite right. way to go about it. The, well, think, let's write this down. Everyone, get your notes out. I think we are ignoring the fact, though, that it's because, remember, this was written by a, by a straight man. So this is probably his idea of what a queer leather joint is. Yeah. But I a imagine queer leather a, joint was available for him to understand. He's not going to go there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like his, he had a checklist and it was like sequins yes feathers yes leather yes trucker extravagant hat, hats maybe? check well and I'm, I'm gonna bring it a little bit serious for a second remember this is what 85 yes mm-hmm. so we're like the height of the aids crisis here so he, this straight man is not going to a gay bar well no um, yeah but i mean you would think that he would at least know you don't serve beer in a highball glass <laughs> that oh this, yes this, that's how you know this is a, a an snm place because that is some sadistic shit <laughs> i was so confused by that i was like wait a he didn't even ask for a glass b no bar is gonna give you a, no bar like that is gonna give you a glass with your beer Nevertheless, a tiny glass, like here's a thimble and 12 ounces of beer. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he's like, all right, when in Rome, glug, 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 glug. One of my favorite things, (laughs) by favorite, I mean the thing that makes me seethe. We pass by in this very slow, unimaginative dolly shot of green and red uh, color filters. And we see two men side by side. One licks the other's face. 
as you do. And then a woman in front of them's like, ugh, and walks the other way. Listen, you don't go to a fucking kink club to start yucking other people's yum. That is, you want to stand outside and do that? That's on you. You don't go inside and do it. You know, you don't walk into a bar and go, get a room. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is the room we've all decided to get into. And in between getting into one another. It's the size of a small hotel room. If you don't like it, go to the other side. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Uh, it's just cheap and naive. Or maybe S&M clubs around here were cheap and naive in 1985. But I don't think so. This is Los Angeles. I feel like we have standards. Huh. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a very, very dismissive huh. We're not from Hollywood. We wouldn't know. No, never. (laughs) So before Jesse can even get a sip of that old-fashioned glass full of beer, why, there's Coach Snyder chewing on gum like it sustains his breathing. And Coach Snyder is dressed like a replacement keyboardist for Spinal Tap. <laughs> is he? Is it a harness he's wearing, or is it a leather vest? I couldn't remember what it was. It's half. It's 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 a vest with leather trim. It's okay. more like it's more like a in the parlance a uh, a V necked wife beater with leather trimmings around the collarbone area. And some rivet work because, I don't know, <laughs> Sally was feeling on that day or whatever the fuck. <laughs> when she he was, just really wanted to like it, it up a little. Yeah, just like giving it some visual appeal. And so this begins a sequence that we like to call warming up Jesse for sex. Yeah, And you know that Coach Snyder is really into an S&M dom sub sort of thing because he makes Jesse do laps in wet jeans because nothing makes me more sexual than the idea that I'm about to have it and have heat rash at the same time. This poor, this poor boy is so, so moist throughout this movie. (laughs) He's never fully dry. It's (laughs) he's, you know, he's either sweating or he's, you know, soaked with rain or he's crying or he's covered in blood. and, And he's, he's never allowed to be dry. And yet, this is actually, I think, one of the driest points that he will be in the entire movie. So either Coach needed to push him harder, or he was just so sexually eager that he was like, all right, do a half lap and then hit the shower. Because we got to get down <laughs> that to is, That is kind of odd that the driest he is is when he's running around this basketball court. Every part of him is dry, with the exception of his jeans, which you can hear <laughs> up against one another. Mm, I love a sexy chafe. Oh, <laughs> man, I tell you, when when things get hot and uncomfortable, things are about to get hot and uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I think you all do. And I think you want me to stop talking about it. I actually don't understand. Can you elaborate in greater Just detail? Just a bit more. Just a touch. <laughs> Does it, does it involve tennis balls exploding? The, now, uh, last night I announced something on Twitter. Uh, I don't really like to cross the streams too much, but I when I when I captured the image, I wanted to make sure everyone knew my thoughts. And that is, I think that uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge is a study in balls. So many balls. 
so many different kinds of balls, so many different sizes of balls, and they're all they're all coming towards your face. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Joe, do you want to castigate me for stealing your joke? You know, I had this one all perfectly lined up because I was even already thinking about the the parallels between this film and Clueless. And then mm-hmm. that line just came out, you know, my plastic surgeon told me that I should avoid activities where balls fly at my nose. And then there you are just spreading that around Twitter like it's a golden goose. To be, to be fair, I think everyone had that thought when they were watching this scene. Well, you know what? There goes your social life. Yeah. So uh, we get a, a view uh, a bit more of uh, a study of what Coach Snyder's uh, sort of work life is like. And before we got, uh, Gina had caught a poster with it says pot hurts, which we enjoyed quite a bit. But this was the first time I caught this one poster that's up against the back wall, which I, there's some sort of flag colored ball. And to me, it kind of looks like either a volleyball or a soccer ball. But that really doesn't matter. It's more a photo collage of one hunky ass dude and very neutral shorts. <laughs> and even in high def, I can't quite figure out what the text is going on there. But in addition to the many, many, many balls surrounding his office, he, he also has a couple of dicks. So good for him. He's, he's, he's not cutting himself off to experiences. And that's what's most important. I'm having difficulty following because I just feel like this movie is really subtle and I don't I don't (laughs) grasp the innuendo. Oh, well, you know, listen, I'm here to help everyone. I'm here to lift you up. We we are Um, carefully explaining every metaphor and that and that is why every episode this is going to be three hours and 45 minutes long. (laughs) I mean, there could be young children never need the help. (laughs) <laughs> because because anytime a character says the that's a metaphor that's just like everything's a metaphor in this entire movie for cock <laughs> <laughs> hopefully let I me think ask, in this case it's more testicular but <laughs> how continental showing um, off his french <laughs> let me ask you boys something and and you can you can tell me uh, in confidence this this isn't going to go out anywhere dear but <laughs> Except to our listeners. (laughs) Who? We have listeners? Yes, I've had balls fly in my face before. Okay. (laughs) Check and check. His plastic surgeon warned him, but he continued. (laughs) Nonetheless, she persisted. Coach Snyder has what is in the parlance a a farmer's tan. (laughs) But he has chosen to wear a shirt that emphasizes how much his torso is not being seen in the sun. (laughs) Is this common? Because in my experience, amongst the many gay men who have been in my life, this is not fucking true at all. No. (laughs) (laughs) All I'm saying is Pride is in June, and I start hearing about I'm getting a tan together starting in February. Like, people want it to be even, so they are presenting a specific look. He knows he's going into this club wearing... That dumb V-neck thing that is rubbing him so hard, he's got red marks on his left clavicle. You want to look your best. You, 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 you're, you're the dom here. You're in charge. I don't trust you if you don't know that you have weird fucking tan lines for your leather vest, asshole. You are correct. You are correct. But this is a small town gay bar, and they got to take what they can get. 
<laughs> yeah, I, no. The impression that I got from Schneider is that he's not getting a lot of action, so maybe he never received No, because he takes home the 17-year-old child. Well, and he's clearly <laughs> spending all of his time at work because after he dies, Grady actually says, yeah, he was working late last night. And I was like, <laughs> oh. It's like, so he's just always at the school. That's why his, you know, he never sees the son because he's too busy bringing the underage boys back to the school after hours. There you go. <laughs> well, now this is making a whole lot of sense. But no, I feel like it. normally, quote unquote, I'm not generalizing, but just in case. Uh, yeah, no, that, that person would have their tan lines in check. I just don't think Coach Schneider fits the bill. He may game. be atypical, he may, just outside of the the, the norm. As I, I, I think he might feel, knowing the type of character that Coach Schneider is supposed to be, I think he would feel that that would be a little too gay. Yeah. <laughs> no, you totally. Like, he, he he's a hyper, hyper-masculine dom. Yes. He chews gum throughout the entirety of his performance. It's so gross. It is so it's really gross. He just looks... Takes him a very long time to look concerned about what's about what's happening in this scene. I, I mean, it, this is a problem for almost everyone in the movie, Gina. I, I, I am, you know, I'm a skittish person. I, I am, you know, despite my my love of horror, I'm generally a, a scaredy cat. I think the first time, like you know, a can of tennis balls just bursts open their own you know free will. I'm like, well, I'm going to leave this room right now. <laughs> He's just kind of like, huh, that's odd. But he's got a nubile boy in the back, Gina. He can't just leave. (laughs) This is the closest he's ever come to sexual gratification. (laughs) Naked and in that shower, too. I was actually surprised by the number of shots of Jesse in that shower. I suppose in a grand sense, it is refreshing to have a fetishization of uh, the man that would normally be lent itself to constant male gaze of a woman. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I will guess I'll give it a plus in that column. Yeah. I mean, are there any boobs in this movie? No. I don't think there, there are. There's there, br- there's, there's brief there during the, the makeout scene. I think there's the slightest glimpse yeah, of boobs. He, he's, he, he's holding her nips pretty hard, though. You can't really see it. Have you ever seen Cliffhanger? Yeah. It's like Sylvester Stallone holding on to that cliff face. Yes, it is. You get the For impression dear life. If, if, if Mark moves his hands, he may fall through time and space. There's not a lot of passion there so much as I've been told to put my hands here and they're not moving anytime soon. Nope. Let's get back to balls. Okay. Uh, during the quote unquote ball attack, a shelf of balls mysteriously turn themselves as if they are aiming these balls. How is Freddie doing that? Well, I, I he, is he now a force ghost? I don't know, Patrick. You said that the rules were just repurposed for something different. So what are the in the first half an hour of the movie? They were. I watch. I watch it in the order in which I talk about it. Yeah, so little... if I'm wrong, I'm just reporting what the weather is like that day. Yeah, now that now we got a little bit of tell, I got a little bit. Oh, puppies! Yay! Sorry, Speaking that's of okay. Play, those that's are the pups. Okay. We got a little, we got a little bit of telekinesis going on. Apparently, he, he's he's you know clinking on those tennis racket strings. The heat is now to the point where he's like fire starter. <laughs> he can just make certain objects catch on fire. And so he's 
just going for tennis racket strings? Just, I mean, just the strings, though. Like, that's it. And they're snapping yeah. and popping, and then the ball well, There's slide. nothing more intimidating than, you know, strings getting broken. <laughs> that's right. It's we terrible. all have a fear of certain things. What we don't know is that Coach Snyder is afraid of restringing those tennis rackets. I mean, it's a lot harder than you think. He's only got so many young nubile children that he can ask to restring those. So (laughs) he'd rather have them in the shower than have them work on that. So Coach Snyder gets shackled by his own jump ropes, uh, which sounds like an innuendo, but it's really the only thing in this scene that isn't. And (laughs) he's dragged across the entirety of the locker room into the shower as Jesse watches like he's being told this is what's going to happen and has no concept of what it will actually look like. And then in a cloud of steam, Jesse finally gives himself over to the dark side. And we all know the dark side is a guy in a fedora who brings in toys on the first go. And you really need a safe word before you go this far on the first Like save some things for an anniversary is all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, and I was going to say, too, because like the, the jump ropes, I mean, they're kind of an innuendo because it's just the bondage. Like, he's into leather bondage, clearly, and that's just mm-hmm. what Freddy's using to attack him. That he's, actually made me extremely uncomfortable on this rewatch. I I just always kind of assumed that they had gotten pulled out by Freddy as part of the magic act where he's pulling everything off the shelf. And then I realized this time around that he, at, like, Schneider actually brings those out. And I was like... Oh, gross. He was going to use those on Jesse. And that's just really <laughs> icky and creepy. It's, uh, I mean, it's all icky and creepy. Yeah, this but, is not as, as you know, as interesting as this movie is for its, uh, it's not subtext. Uh, it's also, you can tell it's also very much written by a, a straight person with a somewhat archaic viewpoint of older gay men at that point in which they were all, you know, potential, you know, predators, predators. and, mm-hmm. you know, would, would you look for every opportunity they could get to, to, you know, kind of creep on you, uh, impre- you know, impressionable young men who are struggling with their own sexuality. I mean, that's, that's a stereotype that, that I mean, I'm not telling anybody, anything anybody doesn't know already, but I mean, that's something that it's still, you know, unfortunately, very prevalent in oh, American 100%. pop culture. And, and yeah, certainly 35 odd years ago. Yeah. It was like, Oh, of course the, the, the gay coach is a big old, you know, pedophile creep. You know, I mean, that's, that's how, that's how we were, you know, we were taught to think about people like that. So it's, this is not one of the, this is probably the low point of, of the movie. It's a, it's a, he's a very problematic character. And I mean, you know, it, it quote unquote makes sense for the time period it was coming out of, but it's just like, why? why? Why is your one adult gay character going after this teenage boy? It's just oh, movie. Oh, movie, movie, movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, in, my, in the last episode, I, I said that he reminded me a lot of uh, Chris Cooper's character in, in American Beauty, who who's yeah. another e- extremely mm-hmm. negative and, and extremely, by that point, outdated stereotype of, of the, you know, you know, repressed to the point of violence, you know, middle-aged gay man. And, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, we were getting close to the two thousands at that point oh, yeah. by the time American yeah. beauty came out and we still were dragging out that tired old trope. So, you know, it, I, it's, it's taking us a long time, unfortunately. When uh, butcher Baker nightmare maker is ahead of the curve, 
on the understanding of how gay coaches operate in a small town, you were in real trouble. <laughs> because that movie has a lot going on to it. But the one thing it does do right is have a man who happens to be gay when confronted with like, yes, I am gay and he might be, he might not be. I just want to support him as a student that really doesn't have, you know, that is a more interesting layered portrayal of what that might be like for a gay man of a certain age in a small town. than Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. I uh, know it's not like the hetero side's like full of great examples either. No. Uh, we've been clocking that for almost three fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Maybe we're just taking an inherently pessimistic view of this. Perhaps Schneider just wanted to play jump rope with Jesse. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> jump rope is big in this town. We have to admit that, right? There are a lot Children, of things to do. We, every movie we're seeing kids jump ropes. It's kind of this town's raison d'etre. It's either that or crystal meth. (laughs) Well, yeah, so so jump ropes for little murdered ghost girls and for Mm -hmm. old predatory gay men. That's that's the hobby. This is what America's about, reaching across the aisle, predatory older gay men, ghost ghost ladies, coming together in, in common wants and desires. And if it happens to take place in a Russian steam bath, then all the better for it. Do better things happen? Yes, better things have happened in in Russian uh, steam baths. Notably, uh, that one scene in um, Gina. Help me out. Eastern Eastern Provinces. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I only make the best jokes with references I can only see in my head. Hey, and not name. At least we get some dick in that movie, though. That's true. But do we? That's what this movie needs is some solid wang. That's what all of these (laughs) movies need. I want to see what that booty do. And at least this movie has the courage to show me some sweet boy ass. <laughs> and admittedly some outline in a, in a couple of scenes. Yeah. But a front bum action. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get, we get to see some muffins in the, uh, in the roustabout scene uh, on the baseball field. Yeah, we do. We do. With that jockstrap. Schneider's clothes get ripped off. And uh, Freddy shreds him from behind. Okay, things are really starting to sound weird coming out of my mouth, but that's just what the movie presents us with. Can I Um, ask a question here? Of course. So, Patrick, you have experience working in television. Yes. Which PA would have been responsible for whipping the towel against (laughs) Schneider's bare ass and then being edited out by a special effect? My guess is you might actually have a stunt coordinator do it or or the special effects person would actually be doing it because they would know the camera angles to stay outside of. Um, I don't think you would let, let an intern do that because you're at, you're just asking. They're not in a union. They're they're not qualified. Even even in the valley, that, that that's not going to fly. So on a pure technical note, I think you would want a special effects supervisor someone who knows their angles this is one of those someone's day job that day (laughs) this this is one of those scenes where where uh i i like like sounds of the lambs i want to i want to be able to be a fly on the wall for the conversation where the director has to explain to the actor okay here's what's going to happen in this scene 
<laughs> we're going to leave your shoes on, but the yes. rest of you is going to be naked. We're going and then to we're strip just going to vigorously whip you. <laughs> we're going to we're going to simulate you getting smacked with wet towels, which means someone's going to have to stop between filmings and apply makeup to your bare ass. Just just go with this. It's, it's going to look really good when 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 filming's over. Well, all right, here I go. <laughs> Man, he didn't go method. Ugh, disappointment. And it's yeah. going to make total sense as to why Freddy Krueger would want to do this to someone before killing them. <laughs> it's because it's he has Jesse a long wants. history of this because he killed, as we learned in the first movie, 20 plus kids. 20 plus. So they needed a good spanking every now and then with the towels. Nice. I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the man worked in a freestanding boiler room. Who's to say what happened down there? <laughs> All things considered, I, I am very glad that this was uh, this was Freddie's only foray into to sexual humiliation, sexually humiliating a victim before killing them. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine if it was a girl? No. Yeah. I mean, because this this oh. kid, yeah, this was a terrible character. True. Yes. But, I mean, this was like, yeah, this scene's going on way longer than I remember. I mean, <laughs> it, it was like a hop, skip, and a jump away from shoving a, t- uh, a tennis racket up his ass. Yeah, and, and I feel like, you know, part of that was that this was going to be pleasing to the audience. And, and I just like, mm, no, just kill him, please. You know, like, you're, you're, you don't usually prolong this kind of thing too much. Well, There's so then a weird it, amount of male suffering in this film, right? So it's, there is, it's always yeah. so odd to see men screaming in slasher films. Well, the only deaths, well, no, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but mo- the majority of deaths are male deaths. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Certainly the, certainly the stars of the movie, if you were to call death stars. Yes. But when it comes to a slasher film, like these are your big action sequences. This is... You know, ideally, in one sense, why people are showing up to see how creatively you can make this illusion happen on screen. And the big ones are guys in sexual situations. So balls in the face. Balls in your face. And so Coach Schneider dies as he lived, having (laughs) unsatisfying sex in a shower with his shoes on. We doff a leather cap to you, Coach Schneider. This ends, of course, with Jesse screaming. And I will reiterate once again that this man's scream is perhaps the best that we will ever hear in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And I would counter it might be the best of any horror franchise. He's just really good at it. It's got some good scream. Yeah, it's a good scream. It's a fantastic scream. Uh, let's cut to 1428 Elm Street once again, where the cops wake up Ken and Cheryl and bring back Jesse, who they found walking around naked on the highway. One of the cops looks at the parents and says, I would keep an eye on this one. Oh, but first oh, he says, you? does this belong to you? It's not does even a person. Belong- it's just this. This item. This could be a shoe rack. This could be a basketball. Does this item did, belong to you, sir, madam? Did this fall off the roof of your car? <laughs> Once inside, we learn that Ken is bad at making assumptions. 
throughout this film, we've seen him make some cognitive leaps that are dubious, to say the least. But in addition to believing that his son could uh, shove small explosives down a bird's throat, here he believes he's on heroin. Does anything about his behavior say heroin to anyone else here? No. No. Stand by my crystal meth comment. I would say, say, (laughs) if you're going with any drug, I think meth would be the one. Later, they have a small confrontation um, the the following day before uh, uh, Jesse hops in the deadly dinosaur. Um, And Ken, yet again, says that what Jesse needs is a kick in the butt, followed by a trip to the methadone clinic. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't think he understands how methadone works. It's like, what do you know about methadone clinics? That motherfucker doesn't know anything about methadone clinics he, he or like heard, how he, cherry bombs work. He, he but, heard about a methadone clinic while watching like 2020 or something. <laughs> I was mostly confused, though, because he, he doesn't get in trouble. He doesn't get grounded. And I believe the dad is unscrewing the metal bars from the windows. Yes, he's taking them off. So if anything, they're getting more lax in their parenting of him after this episode. I believe in Ken's mind, if he takes the metal bars off the windows, the house will get less hot (laughs) because he's a fucking idiot. I mean, he's demonstrated repeated numbers of times that he doesn't really understand how like house upkeep kind of works. No, I'm surprised he can own one. Like, if you put him in a tent and said, Ken, this is your new house, I think he would buy it. He's like Homer Simpson level dumb. Well, to me, he's the prime example of the emasculated man, which is very fitting for this film. So Mm -hmm. he's, he's literally unable to take care of his own house. So how could he possibly take care of this child who, you know, needs to be sent to... I I heard it differently. I thought he said a methadone clinic. And I was like, he doesn't even know that it's methadone. (laughs) That's so dumb. (laughs) I like that even better. So Jesse uh, somehow in the middle of this picks up Lisa and they arrive at the uh, dirtbag smoker's place known as a high school parking lot. Oh, Patrick, can I make a special request for this episode? Of course. Uh, I'm going to speak on behalf of Trace. If we can not refer to her as Lisa and instead call her Meryl, that would be <laughs> It's, y'all, I'm sorry. Meryl Streep is Lisa. Kim Myers does not exist. And, <laughs> and Meryl Streep is so embarrassed by this movie that she created the alternate persona of Meryl Streep, of, of, of Kim Myers. And we'll just, it just goes with it. And so when you see Kim Myers at conventions, it's actually Meryl Streep. That I, makes perfect I'm sense just to me. Let's, let's search, replace Lisa. You might have to remind me a few times. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it is Meryl. So he picks up Meryl at a certain point and they arrive at school and there's a whole bunch of hubbub. And Jesse instantly remembers, oh, yeah, I was witness to a murder last night. And so he runs at full speed towards it because that tells everyone you're innocent. And we're then told by Grady, who over the course of the movie gets less cool by the second. Mm -hmm. Like he starts at a level of high school hunk cool and slowly but surely descends up until the point you get into his bedroom and you're like, oh, all right, there it is. That's what I was looking for. 
Oh, when he's what? when he spends the whole scene talking with his mouth full. Uh. <laughs> I couldn't understand what he was saying. I had to rewind it and rewatch it and be like, "What is he saying?" I had used subtitles. You know, not every actor's choice needs to be indulged. Like, give something a second. You know, pass. We don't have to just to accept the one cut where he has something in his mouth. We, what is he fucking Nicholas Cage? Like, <laughs> say something without some fucking shit in your mouth for crying out loud. Speaking of which, he refers, he he tells Jesse that uh, someone murdered Schneider. He got cut up like a kielbasa. Another so, sausage reference, more yes. cock imagery. <laughs> <laughs> which the movie seems to enjoy and thinks is putting to good use. Also, hey, you know, also, it also suggests that even though there was a murder in the school grounds, that they just went about the normal school day. Uh, I got the impression that they canceled school because. Oh, no, wait. Am I getting ahead of myself? Is this... No, this isn't when they go to the stupid refinery or whatever. Because well, no, isn't, that isn't is a the different next, day. Isn't the next scene in the cafeteria? No, the, it goes from no, yeah. this scene to Jesse nighttime at 1428. This is, oh, okay, we're literally okay. going back to where we started. Oh, right, right, when right. When Jesse okay. wakes up wet and examines his drawers. Wait, I meant desk drawers. There, we got it. <laughs> we caught up. Yay. And we're back. Yay. <laughs> Time is a flat circle, and so is that joke. I was just about to say it. (laughs) Because all throughout my notes, it's literally like, uh, what day is this? What time is this? What day of the week is the party? How are they? Are they skipping school? I don't understand. Like, the timing of this film makes no sense at all. Do we know how long the number of days this film takes place over? It might take place over the course of a year and a half. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't that's how long it's taking you to get through the episodes. <laughs> I, I do. I must say, though, when he wakes up all sweaty again, we get lots of tidy whitey bold shots. Oh, but yeah. That, that camera is right at crotch level. Focused. <laughs> There's a flame bar just off camera so that you have the glow of fire happening at all times. It, they're really being subtle about this. And that's what I appreciate. What we don't have in this scene that we get in that first uh, bedroom reveal is uh, slight morning wood, which, you know, okay, you're waking up in the middle of the night, but out of a dream. Usually, you know, that, that does some things. Gina, dreams can affect your wiener. <laughs> I thought you were asking Gina, like, Gina, in your experience. <laughs> No. <laughs> Does that work for girls though? Do girls get like morning wood on their nipples? Uh, God, Trace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the room is very cold, yes. <laughs> I apologize. I'm constantly pulling him back from the edge of common decency. <laughs> I feel like it's a question. I mean, I mean, if I if I, mean, I woke up in the morning with with morning wood, I would be as shocked as anybody else would be. <laughs> You heard it here first. Uh, well, keep us up to date on that, Gina. Yeah, let us know. I, I'm very interested. Twe- I, I, I will. Up, I will update my journal. Twitter every day. No morning wood today. <laughs> day, however old I am, I'd have to do the calculation. Still no morning wood. <laughs> Listen, everyone's got to have that gag. You just go to. I mean, that could be. You know, today's the day he became president. That could be yours. Today's the day I today's the day I woke up with a penis. Okay. 
sure. Without more. Oh, listen, we'll, we'll workshop it later. We're good. All right. So um, in the middle of the night, Jesse gets dressed um, by get dressed. I mean, he, he, he slings on jeans and keeps a button down shirt open, goes to his sister's room and she's transformed into slow motion jump rope girl. Mm-hmm. So again, jump rope, very important to this town. People are doing it in the middle of the night and not even at full speed. And, and it involves taking your bed out of the room. I was like, what? There's nothing in this room but stuffed animals. What is this room? I really, really wish that Mae West uh, legs akimbo stuffed doll was in this scene and not Amityville Tooth Possession. <laughs> I love how hung up on that you are. <laughs> The two or, of you. Or, so yeah, you're really a, into that. Or just a big old freaky looking rocking horse in the background. That this this movie needs some fuck horse. <laughs> She's got so many stuffed animals and they all look identical. Like I couldn't even <laughs> tell them apart. No, they're a mishmash. They're they're not individual. They're they're just kind of they're basic. They're basic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So the next morning, Jesse asks about the whole, did you know that this is a murder house? And his parents react real well. (laughs) Just super cash about the whole situation. Ken is very flustered. He may or may not know that people died in the living room. And he may not have shared that information with his wife. And this is all new to her. And yeah, this is a this is a family that doesn't talk. And this is pretty much my family at Christmas. Oh. Does your mom also look like a discount Glenn Close mashed up with um, with D. Wallace? Yeah, I was thinking um, D. Wallace too. I was, like, I was like, I was like, like D. Like D. Wallace at fifty. Did you yeah. make that up just on the flyer? Did you have that plan? Because honestly, I'm kind of impressed by that. Oh, I've been workshopping these jokes for weeks. <laughs> My husband thinks I'm adorable. <laughs> and and then in the the tail end of this conversation, the toaster blows up. The lightning hit and it. And they may <laughs> I don't know. And, and Ken says something in this scene, which I find hard to believe. He says, That's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. This says the man who mere days ago watched a bird kill another bird and then explode in his face. And a toaster blowing up is the damnedest thing you've seen? You need to get out. I think this guy is like a fish in a fishbowl that castles new every time he goes around. Ken's a master of understatement. (laughs) He really is. I think he's kind of like me with the later films in this franchise, I think he's got amnesia. Like he only remembers one day at a time. So everything (laughs) is the most shocking thing to him because he literally can't remember anything else. Uh, Hey, in the background, uh, Jesse's little sister has drawn a kindergarten level repose in crayon of a girl jumping rope. Subtle. Uh, Lisa takes Jesse to a freestanding boiler room. I'm sorry. What's her name? Apparently. uh, I'm sorry. Meryl. (laughs) Meryl takes Jesse. To a freestanding boiler. Of course, we 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 changed uh, Nancy's mom into Joyce, and I had no fucking problem with it. <laughs> Wait, I just have to ask: Have y'all yes. not made the Meryl connection before? Uh, to be honest with you, no. I'm so now that you uh, pointed out. Now, now, now that you pointed, pointed out, out I, I can't. Obvious. Yeah, I can't yeah. see there's anything else. <laughs> oh yeah, the she, gaze she latched onto she, it she immediately. Lo- 
she she looks more like Meryl Streep than Meryl Streep's actual daughters do. Yes! And Meryl Streep's actual daughters look like they just hatched from her forehead. <laughs> <laughs> so Meryl takes uh, Jesse to this, uh, what used to be Fred Krueger's uh, boiler room dungeon. And she says it was part of an electrical plant. So he worked in a, like, were they boiling water to make steam turn turbines? That seems very inefficient. I don't think this movie has thought through what Fred Krueger's job was. (laughs) Also, it looks like it's out in the middle of nowhere. And it's, this is a fucking train yard. I was under How the is this part of their neighborhood. And, and, yeah, and I'd gotten the impression, like I, for some reason, am I remembering incorrectly? Wasn't there a point where it said he worked in a school? That's what I thought. Yeah, I, I thought that 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 he was like the school janitor at yeah. some point, and now I, they've they've, that they've might wait, been a retcon later on. Wait, I don't. I think you're confusing it with Groundskeeper Willie from The Simpsons. <laughs> I might be. I might be. I, now, didn't he have a Scottish accent? That is my question. I, I, but I, I think that he was the only employee at this boiler room. I think it was just his boiler room, like that he kept. But you have the like a boiler room has a, a purpose. It heats water for a purpose. I mean, I and no one will tell me what the point of this fucking boiler room was. Other than it was a place he took 20 plus children to. He had it on the weekdays and then Schneider had it on the weekends. And... <laughs> oh, no, oh no. Now they're in league with one another. It's even worse. Do you think maybe that that really the towel snapping is some sort of camaraderie between the two of them? Or it's like, keep your mouth shut about this. <laughs> That's right. I guess- it's I, on the down low. I am trying to think, though, now that I think about it, you know, I mean, if he's bringing kids to this boiler room to murder them, and assuming this is a working boiler room with employees, how did no one see these kids? I don't know. I don't man. think this franchise this... ever explains that. No, it doesn't. It just sets up a boogeyman in the same way that, you know, if you ask too many questions about how Jason Voorhees, a boy who supposedly died of drowning, and that's the whole point of the first fucking movie. But you know what the sudden he's alive in the second one, and no one ever explains it. It's just like a thing that happens. This is what movies did in the eighties. They're like, I don't know. Well, the difference was a boiler room. (laughs) The difference is that we know that the camp is you know for children to camp at. We don't know what the boiler room is being used for. (laughs) Maybe it's also a part time daycare. And that's why no one paid attention to the children. They were just like <laughs> smelting to the right and child daycare to the left. That's right. He's disrupting the boiler room slash daycare dynamic. Everyone else would separate them to. Uh, he's bringing them together. And that's why he's ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. So this brings about something. The whole point I, in, in my mind of having a male protagonist whether or not it has the homoerotic, uh, you know, undertones that it purports to hang, is so that you can disrupt what would be the normal gender roles happening here. <laughs> but I feel like this one particular scene completely undoes that entirely. Jesse is uninterested in finding out who Fred Krueger could be, <laughs> what his backstory is, if being here will help him solve his problems. Meanwhile, Meryl's been, I've been at the library. I looked at auto fish. I printed out these newspapers. You know, I, I, she's like 
doing all the Nancy research. And meanwhile, he's like, Glenn, like I eat when I'm nervous. It's, it just undoes everything it purported to be twisting in this one scene. And it's, I don't feel like Meryl should have that agency taken away from her, but it does feel like Jesse's kind of a fucking lump. It does. I think it's really just because they, she does it off screen. And I guess since we already knew it from the first movie, they were like, Meh, we'll just have her do it. So we don't have to explain it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was an actual excerpt from what was happening in the writer's room. <laughs> Across a whiteboard. <laughs> I do love this scene, though, because I feel like the scene only exists so that we can set up the third act, which I assume you'll talk about in your next episode. But to me, the whole purpose of the scene is to really solidify the relationship between these two characters. So it's Meryl just going repeatedly, do you feel a connection? Are you getting anything? And it's Jesse with his back to her being like, nope, I'm not getting nothing. No guys. connection. Not, you, not feeling a thing. You, you guys, I just, I just had a thought. I think that the casting department actually thought they were hiring Meryl Streep. I think... <laughs> I think Kim Myers used a Meryl Streep headshot and got the role because, and that's what they, I thought they thought they had Meryl Streep this entire time. And then when they were making the credits, they were like, what? Oh, Who's this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this redhead? Why is she wearing so many flowy shirts? Here's the thing. There, she is dressed like me. She's wearing loose, untucked button downs and sort of dumpy jeans. Like this is me now because I'm I write at my house. I don't have to be presentable. Your hair's in a ponytail. My hair's in a ponytail. I I wear Cartier watches. I have subtle eye makeup on. These are things that I do. <laughs> well, I'm dressed like Jesse right now because I've got. Uh, jeans that are loose everywhere except in the crotch to maximize the moose knuckle. Oh, I'm just wearing tidy whities <laughs> There you go. I was going to say, but is everybody covering a sheen of sweat? Because that's <laughs> that's that that's the most vital aspect of this. You must be just like schwitzing constantly. I am sweating because I do turn off my AC when I record. We've had a bit of a heat wave here. So Oof. yeah, the, the office is a little warmer than usual. It's, they find a mouse. Oh, fuck. Uh, and Lisa is, that is very scared. She's very afraid of that mouse. I think so. He looks vicious. I don't trust that mouse at all. I mean, as far as like mice go, that one looks shifty. I don't want to loan that one money. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's scary um, enough to become a mascot of a major corporation that has <laughs> multiple theme parks on different sides of the continent. That company makes me money. Oh, Anyways, sorry. Um, <laughs> Let's cut to a steady cam operator getting a workout, climbing various flights of stairs mm -hmm. so we can uh, see a brother creep on his sister. Oh, is that a, a note from Amityville 2? No, it just happens to have happened in two movies in a fucking row. Oh Gina, God. why did this happen in two movies in a row? I I, I think that we uh, were just, you know, incredibly bad, bad luck and timing. And... and <laughs> And honestly, I mean, this is pretty tame compared to 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 Amityville 2. Either that oh, or that film yeah. is the most 
prescient of all films that you've watched. And it's really touching all these cultural bases. Oh, I don't want to think about Amityville 2 and touching. That's, <laughs> that'll get you put on a watch list. Ooh. I mean, you're probably already on it because the two of you watched it. <laughs> Amazon knows, now everyone knows. They just mark everyone on the blacklist. <laughs> Uh, the next scene marks something very important, and that is this is the first time we see Jesse drinking Coke instead of simply collecting the empty cans of them. Uh, he's taking a, a stimulant called Stop. <laughs> stop. 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 You got to say it with that stop. Brooklynese accent, right? <laughs> stop. <laughs> He's also wearing some sort of satin army jacket. I don't get that outfit. <laughs> his 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 clothing choices get more puzzling as his hair gets larger. It, it does. He, like his but, when he goes in when he goes into Grady's room, he's got like like uh, eraser head hair going on. It's just it's enormous. Well, and coming from the first scene, you know when his hair is slicked down and it's so gross and disgusting. To it's like he he does get more attractive, but the better the bigger his hair gets. Mm-hmm. The bigger the hair, the closer to God. <laughs> also, I will not have any dissing of this beautiful feathered look. It's like, oh, no, no, it's Charlie's Angels with this. It's magnificent. Listen, that is beautiful head of hair. As I said in the last episode, if I had that hair in high school, things might have turned out differently for me. You might have been a Meryl. I, I, I might have met myself my own Meryl. <laughs> and then then who knows what would have happened. Let's cut to the cafeteria the very next day. Speaking of hair, uh, Meryl's friend Carrie is rocking the wet look from coming to America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's, it's just that hot in there. Grady talks with his mouth full. And behind him is a dude dressed in a sideways trucker hat. And what Gina lovingly once referred to as a drug rug. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> It is a poncho, which I did not know the New Jersey colloquialism for was drug rug. Oh, Grace hates a poncho. I don't like ponchos. I've always, because I always, they tend to be associated with like deadheads and people like that. So yeah, the the, uh, colloquialism was drug rug. That seems a little un-PC. Let's get to the main event, why don't we? Because nothing happens in this fucking cafeteria. Wait, wait, wait. I I do want to say, Ron says he's grounded because he threw his grandma down a flight of stairs. Yes. (laughs) That cannot be passed over. (laughs) I mean, and everybody's kind of of reacts like, oh, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) He's so wacky and plucky. (sighs) But they, they, they are all of a sudden a group. Like, we've never seen a group dynamic. No. We barely see them talk to one another, and now all of a sudden they're sitting together at lunch and telling that guy in the drug rug, you're not part of this group. I think it's the milk. I think the milk brought them all together. Why does Grady need so much milk? He has three containers of it. Calcium. What? You but, don't get that body with nothing without enough calcium. <laughs> okay. All right. So he's like using it as a protein supplement, you feel? 
I'm saying steroids, sure. Patrick. He's got steroids. Okay. In <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> hey, listen, my steroid days are behind me, so I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, let's cut to the Madre section of Pasadena, where the hoy meet the poloi to cook hamburgers and listen to 1950s It's Time to Go to Sleep Deer music. Both Carrie and Lisa suddenly are dressed like Golden Girls Jr., <laughs> They're very flowery and very caftany. I'm particularly fond of Meryl's look. It's got that dazzling salmon color, except it's <laughs> then got some kind of dragon print on the sleeves and back. It looks like she's in a very flamboyant bowling league. <laughs> and not a particularly successful one. No, oh. one that's gone to seed. And maybe they've taken up other activities at the bowling alley to make their uh, league dues. Uh, meanwhile, everyone else is, has as few clothes as they possibly can. But if your name is high enough on the call sheet, you can wear as blousey an outfit as humanly possible. So well, wait, this is this is this is Meryl's party, correct? Yes, is, yes, correct. How come none of the guests are interacting with her? Because well, I don't can, think anyone knows her because she's supposed to be new to town, right? I I was looking at this like, who the fuck are all of these people? They don't even know her. They're there for the generic beer. She's just yeah. kind of, she's just sort of glumly kind of just, you know, standing around like, just like, you know, it's like, oh, well, I don't know any of these people at well, my own party. She's waiting for Carrie to come up and ask her about Jesse because it's literally the only thing she can talk about in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this movie does not uh, pass the Bechdel test. No. This... Let's not forget that this movie doesn't even give Meryl her own bedroom. <laughs> oh my god! No, she well, has, she's in the pool. She has the pool. She, <laughs> she has, has the, the cabana. <laughs> it she doubles has, as her bed. She has the little nye, as it were, because it's next to the pool. Um, Fits your the, Golden Girls theme. Now, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of fashion sense, though, but. Is Jesse's blue shirt with his matching blue swim trunks, is that like a faux pas? I feel yeah. like that's a faux pas. Yeah. That's why he has to change out of it immediately. Okay. <laughs> Mark Patton was like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be seen for an extended scene in this. I got to get in some awkward jeans, fold myself up in a corner uh, and talk over this Japanese lantern. <laughs> yeah, he's he's changing out of dry clothes into other dry clothes. <laughs> <laughs> because he knew what he was wearing was wrong. <laughs> I just think it's or like... Or Mark- he's moisturized those clothes with his constant <laughs> lubing. <laughs> I feel like Mark Hatton had a, a rider that said, I will only wear shorts in one scene. And it's like the deep pantsing at the early part of the film. No, I think he's wearing sweats when that happens. He's wearing sweats. Oh, okay, yeah. so no shorts then, except for this one scene. Maybe he had bad legs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's not confident in them. Maybe he doesn't feel there is. Listen, he's got a very strong jawline. He's got that going for him. He's got great cheekbones. He might have eczema or psoriasis that's on his legs. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe he has chicken pox scars that we're not mm. aware of. We don't really get a good look at them. Maybe he's got some really regrettable tattoos. <laughs> just not on his ass, which is why they had to show that. No, no. When you when you own a pair of muffins like that, you got to show them off. It's the money maker. When these two kiss, the passion is palpable. And <laughs> no, I, I mean that sarcastically. <laughs> the, the I mean trans- so much so that I was 
infatuated looking at Meryl's earrings the entire time. I was like, are those cubic zirconium matched with a pearl? The transition is just very weird from like from her being worried about him and saying nothing's going to happen to him. And then they kiss, but it's so like, like they're both like, okay, we know we don't want to do this. Neither one of us wants to do this, but look, like, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> That's it's like seven it minutes in heaven where neither one of them wants to be there. They're like, well, let's just do it. People are waiting outside. Listen, I've seen people do this on HBO from around the corner. So let's try that. Let's try. <laughs> let's try what I've seen on HBO and see if anything happens. Um, this is a, it's a weird timing for their I guess it's their first kiss. Because she's like, yeah. well, my 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 sort of maybe possibly boyfriend is having clearly having some sort of emotional breakdown. Now would be a good time to make a pass at him. <laughs> but it also seems like the insinuation is that they're maybe going to go all the way until he stops, or like yes. at least third base oral. Hence, the I mean, they're already going over the clothes. I mean, in the history of dry humping on this show. We've seen people dry hump in some odd situations. It's true. But I have to say, above and beyond, a rattan floor has to be the worst place to possibly grind your clothed nether regions against one another. Meryl is earning her paycheck here. That is probably poking at her a lot. Mm-hmm. Although it's great for changing your pool because the rattan soaks up the moisture, but it, it never it never gets moldy. So there you go. Like at oh. one point as a homeowner, I'm impressed. But as a person who enjoys dry humping, I'm like, eh, that's not for me. <laughs> and that piece of knowledge already makes you a better homeowner than Fred. <laughs> yes. Outside, though, the sexual energy is real, y'all. They put on that not quite dead or alive song called Whisper to a Scream, and everyone is pool humping. And let me tell you something. Nothing makes sexual intercourse better than pool water. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's dry. It dries everything out, dries the enemy of sexual activity the more you know star. Well, but um bum bum. And, and Carrie just takes her top off in the pool too. Like in the middle of all these people. Oh yeah, this is a a real we're we're ahead of the curve here. This is a high school party to end all high school parties. Generic beer, uh shorts that look like a circus tent, uh little hot dogs topless, that chase after pool women. Humping. And, and you and you and you know what? We're we're just all perfectly okay that the the party host parents are just kind of hanging out. We're all right with that. We're we're just gonna you know heavily um, make out and fondle each other. I would say that they they are getting ready to fuck. Like yes. that mom is horny. Well, the mom is. The dad is too busy being like, hmm, I wonder what those kids hmm. are doing in my pool. I'm gonna have to scrub my barbecue tomorrow. Well, what I love just the, my harem pant. They, the kids, the kids wait for the parent to turn the bedroom light out, and then they like blast the music and they go crazy. And I'm like, the light being out doesn't block sound. <laughs> this is the uh, the uh, the unspoken contract. Once the lights go out. The not dead or alive comes on, and and we're down the fucking. When, when the when the lights go out, the dead bolt goes on mom and dad's door, and they ain't getting out till morning. <laughs> it's like an escape they, room. They, they have very poor night vision, so they can't find where the deadlock is. So they're good as locked in. 
Maybe they just can't see around their vaguely Asian print motif in that bedroom. <laughs> so they're like, as soon as the lights go out, it just looks like we're in the jungle. Real life question for these two. Why are two identical lamps on her side of the bed? <laughs> who who needs two identical lamps? Does that mean that he also has two identical lamps? Or they bought two identical lamps and decided, I don't want one on my side of the bed. <laughs> you have both of them. And then she's like, I will, asshole. <laughs> and this is, <laughs> they've been arguing about this for 25 years. And this is why they're not having sex anymore. <laughs> Speaking of not having sex anymore, uh, we cut back to the cabana and some very unsuccessful motorboating from Jesse <laughs> in between those breasts. Jesse's not even motorboat. He's just licking the space between her boobs. He's like, he's like, oh, I saw this in a movie once. <laughs> <laughs> With those cl- that, is- that cliffhanger grip on her nipples. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like the room is inverted. And if he lets go, he will fall into eternity. Well, that's what that first <laughs> shot made it look like, where it looked like they were standing up and leaning against the wall kissing. And then it's revealed that they're actually lying on top of each other on the floor. So maybe he got some kind of motion sickness and thoughts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who, uh, among, who among us, you know? I mean, Listen, when you're on top of Merrill, it's like you're on top of the world. <laughs> and uh, things start erupting like a giant boil-filled Freddy tongue. Again, how do the rules work here? Is it just when Jesse gets horny, Freddy is allowed to come out? Because he's obviously not dreaming in this moment. Nope. Or is this a subconscious fear that only he can see? I, I'm sorry. I could not help watching that scene and not want to hear like a party horn noise come out. Make it a festive dry humping. Now, Meryl uh, has a tete-a-tete with her friend Carrie. Um, by the poolside, she says, go get your man. Meanwhile, we cut to Grady's bedroom and he is stone cold asleep when Jesse comes in through his bedroom door, mm-hmm. no less, and right on top of him. And to be honest with you, this scene has much more ke- sexual chemistry than the previous one. It just does. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's talk. Let's talk about this bedroom. There's we, so much. Uh, There's so much going on here, Gina. What is in, what is your top two? Go. Uh, It's got to be the the leather comforter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which has got to be kind of uh, uncomfortable in in that that high L.A. summer. Yeah, it doesn't Uh, wear well in the valley in the summer, but maybe they got a hell of an HVAC unit. Yes, love it. The the, the Tina Turner poster. (laughs) Or you mean Uh, Lamal? The, the, about, is the, there a Tina Turner poster besides the, the, Lamal? The Lamal and the Frank Zappa poster, because well, why the hell not? Yeah. The <laughs> because because there's definitely a huge la- overlap between people listen to Kajagugu and people that listen to Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that their Venn diagram is basically a circle. I think we can all agree on that. His, uh, the the deck the decorating scheme here is like that commercial, that old Maxell ad where the guy is sitting in the chair, and the television <laughs> is like so loud, it's like blowing his hair back. It's just that's the aesthetic for this entire bedroom. 
every part of every wall is some sort of MTV interstitial that you haven't seen before. Um, it's like they took a bunch of posters and put them into a t-shirt cannon and then just exploded. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it it's definitely has the look of the production designer just going to like a mall record store and just saying, hey, can I raid your back store storage room? I need some stuff to decorate a teenager's bedroom. What do we know about this teenager? <laughs> we, we we don't know anything. We just know he's a teenager. So I'm just going to grab a bunch of these random posters. He is all teenagers. <laughs> um, uh, Joe, top two. Okay, so I'm Raid partial to the Dexter-inspired blood spatter print that he has. Um <laughs> Mm-hmm. As well as the frankly giant gray leather chair that he has, which Jesse ends up sleeping on because it's so fucking big that it could be a second bed. <laughs> like apparently they took all the room out of Jesse's bedroom and gave it to Grady instead. But Grady knows how to position his furniture to maximize his square footage. This is true. That's that's why Grady is Grady and Jesse is in the position that he's in. <laughs> Uh, later on, Jesse uses that chair like it's a crib, um, yeah. which is a very odd look for a teenager to curl up that much uh, when you're sleeping like he's a dog. Uh, it's very weird. All right, Trace, top two for you. I, I didn't pay attention to the posters. <laughs> <laughs> what did you pay That's, attention to, Trace? I was paying attention to their bodies. Uh-huh. <laughs> so top two about top two bodies. bodies. <laughs> I know that's why I've been quiet. I, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't notice interior design. <laughs> not even the, the bad dentist. gay, bad gay. <laughs> not even the dentist wallpaper. Come no! on. <laughs> he has a unicycle in his room. Yes, I, that I, was I, my favorite. I really <laughs> liked Ron's shorts. There you go. Sure. They, yeah. They're camo and they're short and they get the job done. But are they shorts or are they swim trunks? Because honestly, I was like, so does he just live next door to Meryl? And he was no. like, oh, I can't come to the party. So I guess I'll just go home and sleep in my swim trunks. I say he was, <laughs> yeah, his grandma is presumably in the hospital. So I mean, <laughs> he's just home. That's the spinoff <laughs> I wanted to see. Grady somehow <laughs> pushing her down the stairs and then, <laughs> and then getting that. Corporal punishment of staying in his bedroom to avoid prosecution, I assume. That's the deal he made with the DA. <laughs> well, they were going to invite Schneider to come over and administer some laps, but then it turns out he had an unfortunate accident staying late working. So, <laughs> uh, Top two for me in Grady's bedroom are thus. One, you have a Power Station uh, promo poster. I love the Power Station. So right away, I want Grady as a best friend. <laughs> yeah, sure. You have extremely low standards for best friends. I have talked about on this podcast about how in 1985, I videotaped the power station on Saturday Night Live the very night the actress who was on Dynasty, who previous to that was Nancy Drew, was hosting. And that changed my life. So the power station means something to me, even if our younger guests have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was about Second, to say like, Trace has no idea what you're saying. Well, right? wait, because no, no, no. Because Freddie uses a power glove in New Nightmare. Is that the same thing? 
It's exactly the same thing. Boom. And I knew what it was. I've never seen it. Nailed person. it in one. Uh, My that's second a title favorite. of Trace's sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> when you drop in that tape. Um, number two favorite thing about Grady's bedroom are his sheets. Yeah. Because they're framed. They have a, a grid frame around them. And I, I think that's a great aesthetic choice for him. Uh, but as much as I love this bedroom, and I think we could talk about it really for an hour and a half unto itself, we must move on to the main event. And that is as soon as Grady closes his eyes, it is literally, I'll count it out. He closes his eyes now. One, two, three, Jesse's up. And Freddie is taking over his body. <laughs> so Freddie's running in the background like an app on your phone. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Um, and he uh, immediately starts clutching his groin. And it's happening again. It's happening it's again. It, it happens even harder once Grady gets out of bed. I think we all know why. And is it the six pack? We get some relatively cool effects here. Oh. I think the eyeball in the back of the throat, that's a cool effect. The lady oh. eyeball. What? Really? What? Yeah. Didn't you guys watch the special features? It's uh, because the, the head prosthetic was so small, they had to get a woman to do the eyeball because uh, she had the smallest head to fit into it. Oh, that poor lady. No. Oh. So when oh, you look sure, at it the next time, be like, hey, is that a lady's face in the back I, of Jesse's <laughs> yeah, I just assume they use England. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, and, I, and then uh, he starts the werewolf, uh, only it's a, a Freddy wolf. That shot, out. though, of his fingernail coming off is real disturbing. It, these are some pretty decent um, practical effects. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the worst part is the, the head coming out of the stomach where it's sort of supposed to look like the wall gag from the first movie, it doesn't quite work. Especially the the one appliance that just stands still, <laughs> where it just I, looks like a shirt you put on. Yeah, I I might disagree. I might disagree. Okay. With I actually really do like the effects in this sequence, um, because to me, nothing would be worse than those stupid sand steps that Nancy crawls up in the first movie, where you yeah, can plainly okay. see... <laughs> the uh, the holes where the oatmeal is placed, mm-hmm. but I'm um, no, I really like it. I like this scene because it's kind of a reversal of the Glenn and Nancy scene from the first movie, and there's just more sexual tension in this one. Yeah, very very true. Um, we learn that uh, that this movie actually crosses universes, <laughs> and that uh, Ferris Bueller's dad has a second. That family. was Ferris Here. Bueller's dad, wasn't it? I thought it, so. It was. Oh. This is his second family, and this is how the dissolution of that marriage happens, and he's only left with one, which is why he really reconnects with Ferris uh, back in Illinois <laughs> so much. Which is funny, because he had this one son who was very much not a fan of nerds or turkeys, and then he had to go back to Ferris, which is kind of a bit of a nerd and a turkey. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame you. I'm referencing um, the stickers on Grady's door, by the way, in case you're like, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Turkey. I always assume that you know what you're talking about, and I'll figure it out later. 
When Grady dies, there's not, you don't see a lot, but I think it is a, I, I think the effect works that you know he's being clawed through his entire body when the glove knives come out through the door. I think that's really visceral. And this is as slashery, I think, as this film actually ever gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a hardcore kill. It is. And I appreciate it. I, we will miss you, Grady. We'll miss your sense of style. We'll miss your milk input. And and Jesse. We'll miss your, your batter's wiggle. And Jesse finally got to penetrate Grady. (laughs) Well, it's more like fingering, but sure. Yeah. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. Let, let's call the, the whole thing having some sex. Um, <laughs> Big old fuck fist. So a rarity here in uh, our, our new season of Kill by Kill, because when we were talking about Friday the 13th, we could always talk about choose your own death venture. But here we have so few deaths, we never really get to discuss it. But here, almost all the deaths in the entire movie take place in this episode. <laughs> we are so, so lucky. <laughs> Let's choose our own death venture, everybody. Would you rather get strung up with jumping ropes naked in a shower and get slashed from the back? Or would you like to see it coming like Grady and get stabbed through the front? Uh, Let's say, Joe, uh, you as our first guest will go first. This is tricky because it's basically choosing between my Friday night or my Saturday night. But uh, you know what? I would go with Grady, if only because I would covet having those abs. And I feel like it would Mm -hmm. be worth it to get really brutally impaled through a door if I could have both the abs and those shorts. There you go. Okay. But you also get the eyebrows. I mean, that's the coup de grace. It's true. Those are very powerful eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And a dark head of hair, which is what I've always wanted. There we go. All right, Trace, what say you? Oh, I take it from behind. Uh, I totally uh, just get <laughs> oh, it in the God. shower. And <laughs> uh, I'd be strung up. I feel like just like, also, it looks less painful. He just gets slashed in the back and for some reason bleeds to death. So I, I, I'm I'm all for that. Uh, now, you're going to have to die with your shoes on. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Cock out, ass bare, shoes on. Got it. The thing is, you're not going to end up with athlete's foot. So you got that going <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll do it. Is that like a burlesque <laughs> reference, by the way? Like a like cock out, legs up in the air? Or... The movie burlesque? Yeah. No, that's a PG-13 movie. They can't say cock in that shit. No, but that's what Cher <laughs> says to Christina, where she's like, if you're going to fall, put your tits out and your legs up. Oh, well, I, I don't Never know mind. that Cut movie by heart. No, know. wait, wait, wait. No, <laughs> I don't know that movie by heart. Uh, but you apparently do. <laughs> Well, I'm revoking your gay card. (laughs) Gina, uh, what say you before your gay card gets revoked? I I do not wish to be found just naked, safe for a pair of sneakers. So I I just don't want to be remembered in in such a way. I I just feel like that's something that like people at my funeral will be you you know finding great sport in. Uh, so yeah, I am going to I'm going to also go out like Grady. Now that also means you're just wearing those shorts. 
So you are going to have to be topless in this situation. You know, that's, that's okay. I, I am more comfortable with the top half being exposed and the bottom half. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, so uh, this is super easy for me. I'm going Grady. There's no way I'm not dying in that bedroom. That's the bedroom <laughs> I want people to find me in. The people will know me. I'm the kind of guy who appreciates leather sheets and unicycles. Boom. They're just gonna cre- they're just gonna cremate you and just put put an urn in the room. <laughs> That's right. It's a shrine. Now it's a mausoleum. Uh, this, I want to die as I lived, um, surrounded by vague paisley and leather. So. And that just about does it. Uh, But before we go, uh, guys, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the Internet? (laughs) (laughs) No stalkers. Don't give out your real addresses. Yes. Uh, I'll go first. It's vague. So people can find me on Twitter at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And Trace and I do the Horror Queers podcast on the weekly. And then we do a written version of it on the monthly at Bloody Disgusting. And then I also have my own shitty website called QueerHorrorMovies.com. Trace, what's about you? Yeah, no, you can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter at, at Trace Thurman. That's my first name, last name with a D in the middle. D is for my middle name. And uh, I, I pretty much just do the podcast and uh, writing for Bloody Disgusting. So you can find us there. Uh, we haven't yet made the jump into making social profiles for the podcast itself uh, because I don't want to deal with them. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, don't deal with uh, social media. It's a real pain in the ass. Uh, Gina, uh, what say you? Uh, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about old TV and movies and pop culture at my own website, GinaRadcliffe.com. I am also a film and TV writer at TheSpool.net, and you can find me on Twitter under Porcelain72. Excellent. Do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at KillByKillPod, Instagram, KillByKillPodcast. We have the Facebook group and page to further explore these films in excruciating detail. Uh, do it today. And of course, we have our Patreon. Gina, any news on that front? Yes, we have two, two new patrons. Uh, we have Milo Mook, who is at the $10 level, which means he'll get a chance to pick another movie for us. Oh, my. Uh, we just did Return of the Living Dead, which was a really, really fun episode to do. It was. And we also have another patron, Sarah Wilson. Oh, well, welcome aboard, you two. And of course, not everyone has a spare change in this economy uh, to tip us in that way. Uh, if there's a free way you want to help us, you can always uh, retweet us on Twitter and, 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 and hype us up to your friends in various social media. And of course, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Now, if you uh, tell everyone what your favorite kill was in any of the films we covered, whether it's Nightmare Friday or anything in between, uh, we will read it here on air. That is our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. Don't worry, folks. Uh, The body count will continue. We're going to close up uh, Freddy's Revenge in style. We're going to have a whole party. It's going to get super hot. Believe me. You'll all be my children now when we return. But until then, for myself, for Gina, for Joe, for Trace, uh, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, Meryl.
Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.